morning, everybody. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Phipps. Uh, she's a general pediatrician who has an extra special place in her heart for the adolescent population. Um, for the adolescents, we the boards actually want us to know a fair amount. Uh, it's about 4% of the content. You guys know 5% is the highest section, so this is definitely high yield. We talked a little bit previously about some adolescent stuff with Dr. Palmer, so if you need to go back and review that, feel free. But uh, today, Dr. Phipps is going to help us out with some more adolescent pearls. Welcome, Dr. Phipps. Thank you, Dave. It's nice to be here. I knew you were going to be excited. So <laughs> there's a lot of fun things that happen during uh, adolescence, right? Puberty, mm-hmm. high school, finding yourself. Yes, all very dramatic, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. Just like all of our adolescent patients. Well, this is true. But I think the first thing you always have to remember when you're taking care of adolescents is you have to like adolescence. And I think the first kind of step to liking an adolescent is remembering being an adolescent yourself, because I don't know that anybody really can recall their adolescent years with 100% joy, um, because they are tumultuous. It's always a good day when you can say tumultuous in a sentence. So do you want to just sort of break down adolescence into phases or kind of do that? Yeah, that'd be okay. fine. We hit most of the physical development mm-hmm. stuff already, so this is going to be more of a focus on the psychological development. Okay. So if you want to yeah. just dive right in, that'd so be So there's, there's three phases of adolescence traditionally. There's the early, middle, and the late phase. And if we we're talking about biopsychosocial development, you know, sometimes people even talk about a fourth phase of adolescence, especially because if you look at the goals of adolescence, like what are your goals in your adolescent years? You're transitioning from childhood to adulthood. So you're doing things like separating from family. You're learning your identities, not only educational, vocational, ego, sexual, all that stuff gets learned in adolescence. But if we look at our education, it's sort of being pushed back further and further. So when you end your adolescence, you should theoretically be ready to embark on adulthood. You should be somewhat financially independent. You should be socially independent. You should be all these things. But if you look at most of our early 20-year-olds these days, and you're smiling at me because you probably remember, you're not really quite there yet. (laughs) Not so much. And there's a reason you can't rent a car until you're 25. You know, So early adolescence kind of focuses on, I think, if we like to think about four tasks, we think about identity, we think about peer relationships, we think about body image, and achieving independence from your parents. So your early adolescents are the kids that are going to come in and who are going to be really like starting to not want to listen to their parents. So it's the first time you get that, my kid's got an attitude, or my kid's being a dick, or my kid, sorry, or my kid's being, <laughs> nope, this is, it this happens. Is not, this yeah. is not a PG podcast. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, or my kid's being rude, and this is when friends start to become more important. Do you want, do you want me to tell you my my anecdote now? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm ready okay. for this anecdote. You guys listen carefully. So I was thinking back to my early adolescence as my preparation for this podcast, and I came of age in the mid-80s. The soundtrack of my early adolescence was Madonna's Like a Virgin. And I think the first example that I can remember of parental conflict between myself and my father was in the car, driving. My sisters and I, don't laugh at me, we wanted to put the cassette tape in of Like a Virgin. What's a cassette tape? It's genius is what it is. (laughs) I had a Walkman. We put the cassette tape in of Like a Virgin and dad would lose his mind because he did not want to sing along to Like a Virgin. Now, bear in mind, 
none of us knew what a virgin was. We just thought it was a good song. But yeah, so that was sort of my, my dad's introduction to adolescent girls. And I think that it sort of shut him down. And he kind of disappeared from our adolescence after that because I just don't think he could handle it. So body image, identity, separating from parents, it's all part of your early adolescence. And early adolescence can be, you know, it coincides with puberty. So you're starting to get things. You're like, and you're starting to wonder if it's normal. Like, are my boobs too big? Am I supposed to have boobs now? And then boys are like, is my penis too small? It's a big preoccupation for adolescent boys and can be a very difficult one to bring up with your practitioner, especially if your practitioner is female. So I think it's important to be very open with your adolescence, be very matter of fact, and also not to be careful not to minimize their concerns. Because I think a lot of adolescents don't want to bring up stuff to their providers because they're afraid that they're going to be made fun of. Mm -hmm. So you want to be very nonchalant, very open, very kind to your adolescents. Just remembering what adolescence was like for you. Okay. Okay. Very good. All right. We touched uh, kind of, um, I think we're probably just skimming Mm -hmm. the surface, honestly. is there anything that you think is important as far as cognitive development is concerned in the adolescent? So I think, you know, cognitive de- development in the adolescent is huge because so much of it is going on. They're mo- you're moving towards abstract thought and abstract reasoning. And, you know, so we lead into sort of risk-taking behaviors and impetuous behaviors. Um, you know, in early adolescence, your cognition increases. You start to develop more fantasy world. This is when we develop crushes. <laughs> I crushed on John Bon Jovi, hardcore. Um, again, 80s. But our intellectual ability increases during our middle adolescent years. So you start to become smarter. You start to become more thoughtful. Um, but you also start to feel like you are omnipotent. So this is when adolescent. Yeah, see, it's a good word, you, right? You have some omnipotent, words to me. I love it. tumultuous, yes, tumultuous, um, and fraught. Adolescent years are fraught with turmoil. <laughs> uh, but oh, just going back to that, do not forget that the majority of adolescents come through unfazed. So most of the time, even though we love to talk about adolescence as being tumultuous and fraught and you know so terrifying, but probably eighty percent of teenagers come through just fine. Rest um, assured. Rest assured, most of your adolescents are gonna be okay. So we have basically four basic tasks, I think, if you want to look at the framework of adolescence. And, you know, one is your independence, so moving from parents to peers. One is your body image. One, being preoccupied with what your body is doing, moving into acceptance of what your body is like. Um, Peers, you know, we start off in early adolescence with intense relationship with our same-sex peers. Then we move into more dating relationships. Finally, in late adolescence, coming into sharing more with relationships, person-to-person versus peer groups. And then we have identity, and that, I think, is where our cognition comes in. So we start to increase our cognition, our intellectual capacity in early and middle adolescence. And, you know, this is all part of finding out who you are, developing a moral conscience, developing um, a set of values. And I think this is where a lot of parental conflict comes in because they think that, you know, their child's values are going to be an antithesis, another big word, <laughs> um, of their values. But oftentimes it's, it's not. It's more just of an exploration of trying to develop their own set of values. And, you know, as a practitioner, you want to be there to guide your adolescents in these processes. Because really that's the best way to get them through adolescence is not to try to alter their behaviors, but is to try to guide them into pursuing those behaviors in the least risky way possible. Because a lot of risk-taking happens in adolescence. And 
there's a lot of experimentation that happens in adolescence. I tell my patients, I don't care if you dye your hair, it may fall out, but I'd rather you dye your hair than smoke meth, you know? Big difference. Yeah, big difference. Big difference. Exactly. And I'd rather you use a condom than a Walmart bag. Also, big yes. difference. Yes. Teenagers are going to put things in all kinds of places. You want to make sure they cover them appropriately. Do you have a story about a Walmart bag? Oh, uh, yes, I do. Basically, it's just that. I, I we just like I, I pretty story. much had to <laughs> say, a Walmart bag, darling, is not a condom. Not okay. So we're going to test you for STDs today, and we're going to talk about how they're transmitted, and we're going to talk about safe sexual practices. So that mm-hmm. leads us nicely into what should we be discussing with our adolescents during their visits? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that it's a little bit different than my well-child check for my two-year-old. I would hope so. Yeah. That would be a little discuss, terrifying. going to discuss yeah. a few different things. Mm-hmm. What are the things that we need to be highlighting? So I think the first thing we need to remember is that adolescents are sexual beings. And that is terrifying to parents, to providers. And I think even some of the words associated with talking about sex are terrifying to a lot of providers. Um, I have made medical students stand in front of mirrors and say vagina repeatedly, and penis, and balls, and testicles. So this will fun. hands down be our highest, <laughs> our most listened podcast, just based on the fact that right. penis and balls are said multiple times. Mm-hmm. Scrotum. Yeah. Another good one. There you go. You have to get comfortable using the terms. You have to get, also have to get comfortable about asking about what goes where. Because I think health risks are related to specific sexual behaviors. They're not necessarily related to who you do it with. It's, it's, well, it's who you do it with and what you put where. So what are you putting where? And what are you covering that which you are putting into whatever you are putting it? Okay, so I think a lot of people aren't really comfortable just walking into an adolescent's room and saying, hey, tell me who you're having sex with, Um, because that makes most people twinge or cringe. And I'm sure there's a couple of people who are twitching right now listening to this (laughs) podcast. But you have to get comfortable with the terms and the idea that you have to talk about this. It's not a joke. It's not something to joke about. It's something that's very serious, but you want to be sort of a voice of reason for your for your teenagers because they're going to want to know questions about sex. And their earliest questions are probably going to be about things like masturbation and, you know, do my parts look like they're supposed to? And being able to reassure them uh, that, yes, their parts look like they're supposed to. Everybody's parts are different. A lot of girls will be very upset because one boob is bigger than the other, and that can be totally normal. And talking to your adolescent boys about when the penis is going to grow, wet dreams are normal, all these things are normal. So starting the conversation actually fairly early, I think talking about body image is a good way to start it. How do you feel about your body? Do you have any questions about your body? And then you want to ask about relationships. Who do you like? Or any of your friends in relationships? Because that's an easy way to start, I think, for a lot of people. If you're nervous about asking, you know, who you have sex with, um, you want to say, tell me, about your, tell me about your peer group. Tell me about your friends. Or any of your friends in relationships. It's a good way to ask about drugs, too. Or any of your friends doing drugs, smoking. Um, I think one thing we always have to talk about is what are your kids, teenagers' social media habits? Because this is sort of something that I think we're all trying to evolve to to deal with is what are kids doing on social media? And if you look at adolescents and their risk-taking behaviors, you're going to learn a lot from their Instagram feeds if they choose to show it to you. (laughs) (laughs) But also if they don't choose to show it to you, what does that tell you? Like, what are you putting on there, honey? That's like, that you don't want me to see. So adolescence is definitely a time where we experiment with a lot of risk and a lot of risk-taking behaviors. And you want to see, you know, who are your teens who are most predisposed to, 
sort of pathological risk-taking. Again, just because you're maybe part of one of these categories doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have risk-taking behaviors. It just means you're predisposed to them. So kids who are reared in poverty, um, kids who have been sexually, physically, emotionally abused as children, they are more likely to exhibit risk-taking behaviors. Um, Patients with chronic illness, so your kiddos who have dealt with diabetes or asthma their whole lives. Adolescence is a time when they rebel against their chronic medical uh, needs and may decide they don't want to take their asthma meds or they're not going to take their insulin. And so we see this a lot in adolescence as a sort of a, you know, F you diabetes, I ain't dealing with you anymore, um, which as we all know, just that's not going to work. So uh, it's also your youth who uh, identify as LGBTQ and also our youth who have uh, educational handicaps or if you are in a home where there's significant parental pathology. So our kids, children of alcoholics, our children of drug abusers, uh, our children from um, really disruptive or physically or emotionally abusive homes. So, and a lot of our kids are exposed to violence. So this is a huge problem in our community. Uh, unfortunately, um, we have pervasive levels of gun violence uh, in our country. And, you know, I think they've described adolescent homicide as it's a fist fight with a gun. You know, very, not, teenagers don't mean to kill somebody else. And a lot of times they don't even kind of, they're like, oh, did that just really happen? That didn't just really happen. You know, they, they got mad, they shot a gun off, and, and now they have to face the consequences. So adolescents have a really hard time with action and consequence. And, you know, their risk-taking behaviors can be kind of scary. Uh, and predispose them to violence. Exactly, as well. or exposure to violence. Right. So you want to be very, you want to screen for these kind of things. So you want to talk to kids about their peer groups. You want to talk to them about use of drugs or alcohol. Um, you want to talk to them about sexual behaviors. You want to talk to them about sexual identity. And you want to talk to them about other exposure to violence. So tell, tell me about your home. Do you feel safe at home? Tell me about your family. Who can you talk to? You know, adolescents are at increased risk of suicide. Have you ever had thoughts of hurting yourself? Have you ever had thoughts of hurting anybody else? You're never going to make somebody complete suicide by talking about it. So it's very important to always screen your adolescents for depression and for suicidality because you may be the only person that's going to ask them, and that's their only opportunity to actually say, yeah, you know what, I don't feel good. I do feel like hurting myself, and I need someone to talk about it. So remembering that um, suicidality, while not common, um, certainly is uh, does happen in adolescents, and you have to screen for it as well as screening for depression. A lot of offices, we do PHQ-9s. We do pre-screening forms. It's sort of, it's a starter before you even get in the room. You can see, you know, do I think my teen is at risk for depression? It doesn't excuse you from then asking about it subsequently. But I think anytime you see an adolescent, you can have these opportunities to make an impact. So even if they're in the emergency room for ankle pain, Sometimes an adolescent will present for ankle pain when what they really want is a pregnancy test. So just taking a few minutes to get to know the adolescent, talking to them about their lives, how's school, how's your family, you know, how are things going, is there anything you're worried about today or anything you want to talk about? And sometimes that'll lead to a totally different conversation. You know, well, my ankle hurts, but actually I think I might be pregnant or my boyfriend beats me up. And teenagers do get involved in relationships where there's intimate partner violence. So not only are, are teenagers at risk for violence in the community. They're at risk for family violence from, you know, parental or sibling abuse. They're at risk for sexual violence and they're at risk for partner violence. Um, so you want to screen for all of these things. 
The other things you want to screen for in adolescents that are less, less about risk but still very important to health, you want to talk to them about their diet. Teenagers have crappy diets. Oh, my God. The hot Cheetos and the Takis, I hate them. I hate them. And Taco Bell daily. Oh, God. And the Gatorade and the Monster Energy drinks. You know, you're supposed to screen adolescents for hypertension. Let's make sure that they didn't just come off six Monster Energy drinks and three bags of Takis, and they wonder why their belly hurts. I'll tell you why your belly hurts. Sounds like my night shift. Oh, my God. So bad for you. (laughs) So bad for you. Why? No hot Cheetos and Takis. No hot Cheetos and Takis, man. I cannot stress that enough. But that that can be the mainstay of an adolescent's diet. And maybe sometimes, though, it's related to food insecurity. We could segue We could just go all over. We could segue right into abdominal pain in the adolescence, but we're not going to. We're going to bring it it back. We're going to bring it back. Okay, sleep. How about there's there's another health uh, anticipatory guidance thing you always have to ask teenagers about. Adolescents are chronically sleep-deprived. They also love to disrupt their sleep cycles with video games, social media use, and staying up on the weekends till 3 a.m. And then parents wonder why they have conflict on Monday mornings when the kid won't get up for school. Ah, it's not that deep. Go to bed. Go to bed. (laughs) Go to sleep. Take the phone away. Go to sleep. Yeah, there you go. Go to sleep. So diet, sleep. um, But yeah, a lot of your a lot of your risk or health adverse outcomes start in adolescence. So you may start cigarette smoking when you're an adolescent. You may start to develop poor eating habits when you're adolescent. Poor sleep habits, and these things can kind of carry you through for the rest of your life. So it's really important to screen your adolescents for their health status and their behaviors because you don't want a teenager to start smoking because then you're going to have to deal with them as a 45-year-old with lung cancer. You know, you don't want a teenager to have horrible eating habits because it's, you know, then they're going to be your obese adult. So, So really looking at a lot of the health behaviors that create adverse outcome in the future have their have their origins in adolescence. So adolescents are important. <laughs> Take care of them. So it seems like much like our well child checks in the younger years, you're still screening, but you're screening for a different set of questions now and a little exactly. bit more in depth. And mm-hmm. actually, a lot of these have long term health outcomes Very and, true. and poor health outcomes as well. So the other thing to talk about, I guess, would be stress. And we've kind of hit on it a little bit mm-hmm. here and there. But what are some things that kind of show as stress in adolescence? I mean, like sleep mm-hmm. sleep changes right. and stuff like that. Depression, sadness, isolation, poor school performance. So adolescents have massive stressors. You know, not only are you in the middle of this tumultuous uh, life experience, you know, you're, you're discovering what your identity is. You're trying to separate from your family. You're figuring out, you know, what your body is like. You're figuring out what you like. And it, on top of all that, you have the added pressures of what am I going to do with my life? You know, am I going to complete high school and then go on to college? Um, what is going to be my vocation? What am I going to do with my life? And maybe you're also growing up in a home that is not founded on loving relationships. So adolescents do well when they're in a loving home with good support. And unfortunately, a lot of adolescents don't have that. So you've got all these stressors, and they kind of compound. So adolescents may, grades may drop, sleep habits may adjust, apathy may ensue, weight may fluctuate, either weight gain or weight loss. Uh, and they may isolate more than usual. So again, you want to screen them for all these things. You want to screen them for depression. You want to ask your heads, how are things at home? How are things at school? Tell me about your activities. They may start to not want to participate in the activities they normally do. Um, Drug use and sexuality. 
So the heads of adolescence that we always talk about are actually very important. Because I think you can, you know, if you find adolescence trying or annoying or irritating, I think just try to take a step back and remember, one, you were an adolescent once and you were probably just as big of an a-hole as this kid is being in front of you right now. And two, you can have an enormous impact on a kid's future by taking care of them as an adolescent and helping them, giving them a grounding person that they can come to and ask questions of, and giving them some foundations and some advice on how to kind of navigate these years. So take care of your adolescents, man. Fantastic. Uh, I think we covered everything that we set out to cover. Sweet. Um, Just remember, Walmart bags are not condoms, ever. If you can take away one piece of advice today, guys, (laughs) that's it. Yeah, I'm here for you. Appreciate it, Dr. Phipps. Thank you. Thanks for having me.